Welcome to the Track Talk Podcast, an in-depth look at popular songs. My name is Maddie Margallo, and I'm a singer, songwriter, producer, and a music lover. I'll be your guide as we talk about this week's track, the legendary, trend-setting, rock and roll pioneers, the Rolling Stones, Can't You Hear Me Knockin'. Every episode, we're going to provide you with analysis on a track from a music production and lyrical level to its social significance and legacy. But it won't be just me yapping at you about music, we will also have a weekly guest host to help me do it. This week, we have guitarist, singer, songwriter, human jukebox, and NFC East rival, Brian Dillon. Brian, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Maddie. How are you? <laughs> Fellow doing... NFC East <laughs> rival fan. For those of you who are not in the know, and you totally shouldn't be because it's no, super late, is uh, <laughs> NFC East is a division in uh, the NFL where uh, two teams reside, the Dallas Cowboys and the mm-hmm. Washington Redskins. Boy, and Brian's handy. a fan of the, of the Cowboys. I'm a fan of the Skins. That makes us rivals, but in fact, I think we're pretty good friends. So, yes. <laughs> And it could be worse. You could be an Eagles fan. Uh, that wouldn't have These worked. guys. <laughs> but I call you a human jukebox because um, when we first kind of started kind of jamming and stuff, like over at the open mics, you showed me like this list on your phone of like a hundred songs that you knew and that you could just play. So that's why I called you the human jukebox on that. And I appreciate that. And actually that was one of the first and only, as far as I know, musical nicknames I've gotten was a friend in college. And they told me, it was like, Oh yeah, a couple of us call you jukebox. I love that. That's kind of I loved it too. So no one calls you that? No. Guess what? Jukebox. (laughs) And actually, you know what? They told me, this was two years after I left college and I came back to visit. They're like, that was your nickname the whole time. Why did you tell me I had a cool nickname <laughs> that's a, like that's that? That's a rad nickname. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's kind of back it up. Why don't you give us just a little bit of like background on your, uh, on kind of like your musical background, kind of how you started and kind of how you got into it. Well, you know, always a lover of music as a, but kind of very specific taste when I was a kid. I, I loved Michael Jackson and Elton John. That was who I loved to listen to. Um, but never really had the desire to pick up that instrument and play until I was about 16 or 17. And I started playing guitar and piano at the same time. Did both those for about a year and a half, mostly self-taught though. I think if I would have been taught, I think I, you know, I think I'd be a little further along. You think? Yeah. I don't think I, I think I would still would have gone down the same progression I have. I just, I think it would have gotten there a little faster. We're using like tabs and like a lot of tabs. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of tabs. And I was big into sheet music too. I, I I just love like the look of it, the, the aesthetic of it all. And that was tabs or like actual like musical notation. It was tabs, but what starts happening is, um, like if you're getting tabs out of like a sheet music book, like a Hal Leonard Uh published book or whatever, they're going to have the sheet music right above it. Oh. So after seeing it all this time, I thought I was like, oh, like what does what does this mean? What does that mean? And I learned the notes early on, also because you know for the piano, there's piano. There's not really a tab version, no. so you do have to kind of know how to read music. Yeah. So it was the piano that learning the piano that got me to learn like okay what the notes mean. But it wasn't until after a few years of playing guitar, maybe about four or five years in. After seeing this sheet music paired with the tabs for so long, my brain and my ear finally did math and I learned right. how to read rhythm and then kind of connected the dots. For yeah. Them. Excellent. Yeah. You, uh, when, you know, whenever you play at, at, at the open mics that, you know, we met at, mm-hmm. 
you're always uh, doing these great arrangements too of, of these songs. Uh, and sometimes you'll forego singing like the first verse and you'll actually do an instrumental of the first verse, which I think is a really cool way to do it. What, what kind of inspired you to kind of do arrangements very specifically the way you do them? Well, I think it's a, it's a, it's a couple things. Um, the first one is there's so many songs that I've loved and, you know, listened to over the years that aren't guitar based you naturally are just forced to create your own arrangement. So I think sure. I think part of the arrangements I create is kind of out of necessity of the fact that I don't want to just learn the chords and just strum them. But yet, you know, like I'm thinking of the recording I did of, or the, the arrangement I did of Lana Ritchie's Hello. There is a guitar in it, <laughs> but it's not really guitar bass. So you, you kind of... It's a piano. It's, it's a piano bass track. Yeah. And, and, and so you kind of force yourself okay if i'm gonna learn this song and if i want to capture all the melodies you just kind of have to learn the ins and outs of the chords and the notes in it and and you know to to make it sound really full and then the um the arrangements i do specifically with having that first verse just be an instrumental that's part of that influence is i um i like to sing i don't feel i'm the best or a great singer so i do that to kind of lengthen out the song and kind of reduce the singing I have to do. Right. And then the other thing too is um, I love a lot of like pop jazz songs from the 20s and the 30s. And mm. the ones that start to feature vocalists on their recordings, you'll find that a lot of them, the first minute, minute and a half is just an instrumental and they're playing the hook they're, or the chorus or whatever. And I always liked that idea of having a song where um, just the instruments themselves draw you in for a minute and a half. You know, you hear this melody, you get this mood, you follow the story, and then the singing comes in. It's right. kind of like, oh yeah, forgot about that. Yeah, the 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 way you put them together are real, real great. So you know, if you're ever around Glendale on a Sunday night, drop by the uh, the Oak and Vine and uh, catch catch Brian because he's really good. And you might actually catch uh, our uh, one of our former guests, Mark Mishimura, playing too. So. You yes. might see some future guests there too, and and, and, and you might even see uh, oh Tazneem Tazneem will play there Tazneem as too. well, yeah, yeah. So and then Maddie hosting I, hosting the track I will talk. Show up once in a while, and, and if I'm sober enough, I'll play. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, did you play any bands or anything kind of coming up when you were? You said you you played kind of late high school into college, I would guess. Yeah, um, I would say that I started playing with um with people um you know like in a jamming or band context that was probably in college and I was never in a formal band but I always seemed to find people to play with whether they were guitarists or it was a bassist um I had one friend who he played drums the drum setting on a keyboard and so that was our band <laughs> I think I think that that's the closest. Was he I've, any good? Because some people are like really killer at playing like drums on keyboard. <laughs> he was good. I think I think there were there there were a few extra little hi hats that he probably could have used. But he he did he did it awesomely though. It was always kind of the same beat. It was, it was yeah, yeah, it just, yeah. Everything turned into kind of like an Al Green song. It just kind of had the same backbeat. So, <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know, d- doing that and but I especially love to play with um or collaborate with singers because it's it's just i love right to really just focus on the guitar and then kind of do all the melodies there so that's why you know like when i play with you yeah, and yeah, Neem, yeah. i enjoy doing that a lot uh, because, uh, essentially like a com- accompaniment 
There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm letting someone else do the singing. In fact, like a couple of weeks ago, uh, we met that girl at the bar and just randomly kind of just like she she asked me about like, do you know these songs? I was like, I don't know those songs specifically, but uh, you know, uh, yeah. Brian upstairs might. And this girl was just like in town for the weekend, and she's like, she ended up being a really great singer. And uh, her name her, is Angelina. Angelina. Yeah. Yeah. Her and Brian like just played like two songs. Which ones? Uh, we did summertime in the Sam Cook version, Sam Cooke which, is, we, which is a very specific version. Uh-huh. And she hadn't heard that, but she she, she went picked along it with up. It, yeah. And then we did uh, "Love Is a Losing Game." Amy, Amy Winehouse. Winehouse. Yeah, she had that style of Amy Winehouse. She was very, very good. Yeah. I would, hopefully, she'll come back because I would I would listen yeah. to her all day. Um, I think that's just a thing with like great singers and great musicians, and just that collaboration. If if you just have a good ear and you're like you're willing to trust you can you can put together some really cool stuff even without much rehearsal or any rehearsal at all and i think you guys proved that the other night when you guys did that it was really cool exactly yeah yeah. um so what kind of made you want to talk about uh the rolling stones and specifically um can't you hear me knocking that song well the rolling stones were my and they still are my favorite band of all time mm-hmm. um and i've liked them they've, they've been probably my favorite band for the last 10 years and when when i first started playing um guitar i was i was really into them and you know they're, they're the band i've seen the most live you know they're they're my favorite band. how many times have you seen them four that's pretty good yeah that's pretty good yeah yeah, it's crazy when you see a band and you know, fifteen years ago and people were making jokes about how old they were and they're still they're still <laughs> they're playing still now. Going. Yeah. Well when was the last time you saw them? Uh two thousand thirteen in, in, in LA. Where they actually played Can't You Hear Me Knocking. Gotcha. At yeah. uh Staples. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And so, you know, chose them because they were favorite, one of my favorite bands, my my favorite. And then Can't You Hear Me Knocking because I've always felt that that was um one of their best tracks one that showcased their musicianship how tight they were at that time um this is a song from 1971 which was in a four-year period where they were i feel at their best and um it's and it's just a song that you know a lot of people know but not everyone knows and it's a real quality song and I, and it captures up what i love the most about them i can absolutely tell you right now i hadn't heard the song before until the this week when you when you asked me uh, that you told me you wanted to do this song mm-hmm. so i went and checked it out and loved it by the way and we're going to get into that more in a second but i do want to say and this this is this may be a shock to a lot of the track talk podcast listeners out there but i don't know that much of the rolling stones catalog except maybe just kind of the the real famous hits. Not like I, like I know the like say the Beatles catalog like kind of pretty well. I like mm-hmm. I can I can name you a bunch of their tunes. I can maybe name about five Rolling Stone tunes, but you know every time I've heard them and I just kind of let it on the Spotify playlist when I was kind of on the way here. Just kind of let a couple of Stones tunes go, and I was just like, gosh, I I should absolutely listen more Rolling Stones because they they go through that same kind of journey that the Beatles did of these kind of like pop poppy kind of rock tra- mm-hmm. tracks with that kind of where theirs is a little bit more blues influenced i think that's pretty obvious to say especially early on and then they kind of get into this later era of these kind of really grooving just tunes and it's 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 a definitely a different path than you know say the beatles went 
um, when they got into this time. And in fact, the Beatles didn't make it to the yeah, 1970s. And, and that's so. the thing is, is, is like if um, like this song, Can't You Hear Me Knocking, if, if you were to have stopped their career right there, then it's about the same length as the Beatles. Right. But then, you know, they, 1971, they had a, another eight years yeah. of still making songs that you know, people, people know and love right, today, right, right. but yeah, they, they, um, yeah, they were around for a while. I mean, they're still around. They're still around. It. Are they still actively putting out new records at this point? Mm. Or it's more just like doing the tours and playing the, the playing last the album they put out was in 2005, a bigger bang, which was, which corresponded with the tour. But, um, other than that, in the lat, you know, that aside in the last 14 years, it's just been two or three new songs that are paired with the greatest hits collection. Gotcha. Yeah. And for them, I think that's enough. They've, they've probably got enough money to live out the rest of their days. Oh, yeah. So I think... <laughs> I th- hot take. I think the Rolling Stones are going to be just fine. <laughs> they're, they're, they're pretty talented guys. I think, I think, I think they're going to survive the changing trends <laughs> in popular music. Yeah, yeah. I think they'll be okay. <laughs> um, I want to kind of get into, uh, into this uh, track. Um, can't... Can't You Hear Me Knockin' came off the Sticky Fingers album. It's their ninth British album, 11th U.S. album. Mm. Um, so that's Good a, distinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was interesting. So I guess there's just some tracks they did here in the U.S. Or albums they did here in the U.S. During the 60s, their output was, you know, theirs and yeah. the Beatles and, and, and allowed those bands. It sounds like it's annually it, at this point. And it was even more so than that. So a lot of times that's kind of why you have some of some some of that happen is is that they were just releasing so many. It's, right. they, they had the luxury to be like, you know, make that. That's a really incredible thing when you when you're looking at bands nowadays, it takes like years for a band to like mm-hmm. put out their next record. And I wonder if that's a lot because of the touring thing and they're doing the tour thing and then they come back from the tour and they're like, I don't want to hit the studio right right away. I don't know. And then some some artists are just dropping stuff out of nowhere too, like you know, like you know, we were, I mentioned earlier, like Beyonce just dropped that record out of nowhere, and that was that was like, oh, okay, I I didn't realize she wasn't working on anything, you know. So it's like, I feel like it was different. It was like back then, it was like every year new I, album. And I think the key is you have to write on tour if you're gonna gotcha. Re- that because when you read about the Rolling Stones, they still even brought recording. You know, it was back in the day when right. recording equipment that wasn't has as, to be it. Actively, and then probably as they're on tour, you know, they're workshopping these songs, and they're probably playing them out on the, you know, out on stage. And it's like, here's a new song we're working on. They play it, get the crowd reaction. You know, that makes absolute sense to me. So, um, this one looked like uh, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards were kind of the main guys on this this particular record, uh, produced by Jimmy Miller, uh, a fairly frequent collaborator. Of uh, the Rolling Stones, especially during that sweet time, specifically during to that seventy three, seventy two. And I, I looked into Jimmy Miller just to see who else he's worked with, and uh, Jimmy Miller was the producer behind "Give Me Some Lovin'," the Steve Winwood track. Mm-hmm. Great tune, love that track. Steve loves Steve Winwood, and then he was uh, also behind that uh, supergroup "Blind Faith" with Steve Winwood, Eric Clapton. Oh, uh, also some other notable bands: Primal Scream and uh, Motorhead. So there you go. Let me ask Motorhead. What, what's the line from from Airheads? Uh, uh, who, who's got or who's better, God or Lemmy? And they're like, uh, he was asking Harold Ramis. Oh God, this is gonna be. I'm, I'm, <laughs> cu- I'm cutting this from the thing. Um, no, they're it's Steve Buscemi and Brendan Fraser. They're testing Harold Ramis, who's pretending he's some like A and R. He's like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm explaining this right now. <laughs> and like, they're like, who? 
who'd win in a fight? Lemmy or God? And, and he's like, uh, God. They're like, no. Lemmy, no. They're like, wrong answer. Lemmy just, is God. And that, I just, that was the bit. I just, I just remember from that movie, um, Adam Sandler's character goes up to like this guitarist and and he's and uh, this uh, uh this black guy who's a guitarist. Right. Like, we're gonna cut this, right? Yeah, we're cutting all this. He cuts up to this guitarist, this uh, black guy, like in the st- like because because the studio they took over, right? Right, 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 right. And then he's like trying to like would you know like get on his good side. He's like, hey man, I love Jimi Hendrix. I remember the guy was like, step <laughs> off my dick, man. <laughs> Aaron's so good. That's that's a I'm I'm officially recommending that. That's a track talk podcast recommendation right there. Go see Airheads. Brendan Fraser, Steve Buscemi, to, uh con. The Lone Everybody. Rangers. The Lone Rangers is named the band. <laughs> so good. Adam Sandler. Oh man. Corbin Burnson. Oh man, everybody's in that. Tony mm. Montaigne is in that. The Montaigne. <laughs> oh my god. Uh that that will be cut right now, so leave room for edit. Wait for that airplane. <laughs> um, the record or the album was released April 23, 1971. So that's exactly what we're talking about. Kind of mid 71, this record came out. They recorded it in London at Olympic Studios in London. Um, but you mentioned wh- which record did you say they, they did in France? The album after this one, Exile on Main uh-huh. Street, was recorded in this um, countryside mansion that Keith Richards was renting oh. out in France. And that was because? Well, they liked this idea of um, the Stones of going somewhere to record an album, like going away. Uh-huh. And um, France specifically, I guess um, at the time, the tax rate in England was so high, something like 90 almost 90%, you know, depending on the wealth bracket you were in. Wow. And, and I guess it, it would have like choked away all their finances, all their for the record, good hard earned money that, you know, went to drugs and all the other <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, and so, and so, and so Keith is like, Hey, I've got a mansion out in France. Let's go, let's go do this. And that's so, right. Yeah. Um, kind of going into the song, I pulled up a little quote here from uh, Keith Richards. Uh, can you hear me knocking came out of flying? I just found the tuning in the riff and started to swing it. And Charlie picked up on it like that. And we were thinking, hey, this is some groove. So it was smiles all around. For a guitar player, it's no big deal to play the chopping staccato burst of chords very direct and spare. I, in my head, I'm imagining that, that Keith Richards accent and i'm sure it would take much longer to read that quote throwing 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 like a raspy chuckle every yeah, now yeah. And then. <laughs> <laughs> um notable personnel on there um keith richards uh, uh obviously mick jagger uh mick taylor on guitar for that mm. period mick taylor's on guitar cannot be forgotten mm-hmm. uh rocky dijon on congas uh, the great Bobby Keys on tenor sax yes. from uh, John M- M- Mail. He was not. No, he was from Midland, Texas. Mick, Mick Taylor. Mick Taylor. Mick Taylor was on John Mayall's band. And then uh, the great Billy Preston on organ. Yeah, yeah, I love the Billy Preston. Beatle. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was kind of the the personnel involved on that. And the, you know, when you get to that last part of that track, that's when you hear those other guys really kind of getting there. Yeah. You're in their time to shine. It's really dope. It's really freaking cool. Um, this particular 
track, and I guess now that I mention it, it starts off as kind of this kind of, I don't want to say standard, but it's kind of like a very straight up like rock, like Rolling Stones rock song. That would the be- first three minutes, first maybe 245, something like that. That would be very fair to say. Yeah. And as a huge Stones fan, when I first heard this song, I think I kind of went past it. You know, it's on a great album, Sticky Fingers. There's a lot of great rockin' songs on there, great ballads, great country-sounding songs. This was another rock song. You know, you hear that intro, and it sounds like a real, you know, true Stones song. And right. I love those, but I think it was like, oh, okay, like I, like, I get what they're trying to do there. Let me move on to the rest of the album. It wasn't until later on that... A friend of mine really told me about it that I went to check it out and it's it's really the first two forty five of the song. Mm-hmm. I love a rock and you know it gets me every time. But everything after that, the next five minutes, I forgot the song length, but the next five minutes when it turns into this extended kind of two movement, you know, part jam that really. That, I love. That's maybe the part that makes this song. It, oh yeah, I, um, I would definitely very agree. special. And um, it would be easy to sit there and think, okay, you know, they're just rockers. It's just kind of guitarists and stuff. But man, it's really musical. And from a musician mm. standpoint, it's a pleasure to listen to. I thought very grooving, and like the um, the solos that they take between the saxophone and the guitar stuff is really like tasty stuff that you don't hear in rock records. Mm. And I thought I thought it was just a real pleasure. So I think I think also you picked this because you knew I would be super into it, just knowing kind of like my taste in, in music too. Yeah, I knew. <laughs> uh, as we always do, we like to kind of run down the lyrics for this. I'm not gonna go too long this because there's a lot. Of no the need music. to. There's, there's a lot really of the no music. <laughs> there's a lot of the music stuff we want to get into, but we've both agreed that um, a lot of these uh, these Stones tunes lyrically. There's some substance, but it's a lot of kind of flash and stuff in it. I, it's, it, it, you know, I've, I think I've told you this before, but I'm one of those people who I, I don't really listen to lyrics. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, obviously you can't, you know, you couldn't throw a song at me that was just about like, you know, pooping your pants and, sure. I, and I would just be like, oh, okay with it. But generally I don't listen to the lyrics. I think that's why I've always liked the stones. And this song, it kind of echoes that point. It's like, you know, the lyrics, they sound nice when you're saying them, but if you really think about it, either they're not saying anything or whatever the message is, it's it's kind of like, yeah, you know. It, you know it's, it's lyrics for the sake of uh, something I've mentioned before called what, we, what I would call like phonetic, phonetics. The, exactly. the way they roll off the tongue, the way they sound with the music. And uh, this song kind of expresses that, although there are some great stone tunes with great, really great lyrics out there too and I was just listening to a couple on the way in like um, uh, you get what you need can't you can't get always get what you want like you the lyrics for that are really want. good so it's like there are some there are some really great tunes but you know some of these are really just a means and end as far as just like let's get the song together have Mick Jagger sing have him dance around let me do the guitar riffs like I, I, I get it but we'll go through this uh, fairly quickly uh, can't you hear me knocking yeah, you got satin shoes. Yeah, you got plastic boots. Y'all got cocaine eyes. Yeah, you got speed freak jive. You you what? You, you make it sound like there's more to it than when you read it. It. I'll tell you what though. Um, I I don't. I think it's very surface level, but it's 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 kind of cool. Satin shoes, plastic boots, cocaine eyes. 
speed freak jive like they sound good it's 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 just cool shit that like mick can stay on stage right Isn't yeah, that kind of yeah. what that it, is it just you know with his with his delivery with his kind of sing you know kind of shout thing that he does like yeah. it just works it's nice like it's nice like two three word pictures in your head they're, yes they're 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 just like showing you pictures of things yeah it's maybe that's really... what it is it's a little bit of visual but we're not getting the full story Although we get a little bit more story once we hit this next section. Can't you hear me knocking? Can't you hear me knocking on your window? <laughs> I'll take that again. Uh, can't you hear me knocking on your window? Can't you hear me knocking on your door? Can't you hear me knocking down your dirty street? Yeah. And what I'm getting out of this is Mick has just been kicked out of his lady's house. That's really what this this truly sounds like to me. Uh, he's banging on the window, banging on the door, trying to get himself uh, back into there. So uh, I just I just really uh, really enjoy this. <laughs> uh, and now they they hit the uh, the chorus. Uh, help me, baby, ain't no stranger. Help me, baby, ain't no stranger. Help me, baby, ain't no stranger. And it's over a different chord progression there, so they uh, that's kind of like a cool repeating part that they have with the with the kind of background vocals. Yeah, they get in that section. Uh, second section. Can't you hear me knocking? Are you safe asleep? Can't you hear me knocking? Yeah, down the gaslight street. Can't you hear me knocking? Throw me down the keys. All right now. He's trying to get in. He's <laughs> locked out. He he obviously messed up at some point and. <laughs> and that sounds like that, the member of the Stones that, lifestyle yeah, in the early 70s. That sounds exactly right. Just having fun, <laughs> coming home too late, girls already asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She probably told him, don't, like, come, don't come you know, home late. Don't come home late. And <laughs> that's about it. It's really good. Um, hear, hear, hear me ringing the big bell tolls. Hear me singing soft and low. Uh, I've been begging on my knees. I've been kicking. Help me, please. So it's it's. It's pretty obvious he's like, he's, he, I can see him just shouting this from the street, you know, just like, you know, <laughs> can you hear me knocking? Like, just like <laughs> up to the window. Uh, hear me prowling. I'm going to take you down. Hear me growling. Uh, yeah, I've got flat, flatted feet now, now, now. Hear me howling and all, all, uh, all around your street now. Hear me knocking all around your town. Uh, okay. I that, that one doesn't. We're link. sticking with a feeling and we're going <laughs> yeah, with it. It doesn't link as much to the other lyrics. It, kind of midway through, there's a bit of a story in there, which I, I dig. But uh, at the end of it, this it, it feels like these lyrics are a bit of just kind of the... just. It's kind of like uh, how I think of French fries. It's just a way for like more ketchup to get into my mouth. <laughs> That's all they are in this in this particular song. <laughs> hey, they have a singer in that band. He can't, it, you know, because the Stones have only had one official instrumental song. That was a song that they recorded in the early '60s. That was the address of Chess Records. I think it was twenty one forty two Mission uh-huh. Michigan Avenue. The address may not be right, but oh. but um. Yeah, Mick Jagger's gonna sing in every song. He has so to. He's, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's gotta talk about something. <laughs> <laughs> so those were the that, those were the lyrics of uh, "Can't Hear Me Knocking." Like I said, I think he got kicked out of his house, and or at least it's just completely locked out. So he's just trying to get back in. That's that, all. <laughs> that is fair. I won't challenge you on that. <laughs> um, let's let's go into another section of uh, of the podcast. Something I like to call song basics and. Uh, 
You got a little surprise for you, Sean. Here we go. Yes, that's right. I've extracted the <laughs> the song basics melody that uh, Mitchell did in the last podcast, and I've turned it into our official song basics drop, I which like I've it. been which I've been begging for since we've started this podcast. So <laughs> there you go, song basics. I'll put that. Up, we'll put that up on the on the on the page for you guys that listen to that at your there you leisure. Go. <laughs> uh, you were asked earlier the runtime for this song. Seven minutes, 15 seconds. Sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, considering uh, Keith put his guitar into completely G major tuning, this song is in G major. That'd be my absolute guess. Does that sound about right to you? The key of the song? Yeah. It is actually in D. D? I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was just... The open G was, was just kind of... You know, you can just slap a capo on it and then you can change it to something else. Gotcha. So, yeah. Uh, and time time signature four four yeah very straightforward so uh, okay so it was uh, two for two for three on the song <laughs> basics yeah we at least we got the intro now so <laughs> so let's let's go through the uh, the production of this and I know you're you're gonna uh, got a couple things you want to talk about um, right at the top it starts out with that really great guitar riff that Keith mm-hmm. Richards guitar riff uh, there's a bit of like a drum kind of thing going that comes in and the bass line comes in um, that guitar riff is really yeah. kicking and and this is really kicking and, and the way this song starts out quintessential Stones type of song so the one thing that you'll notice um, with Keith Richards especially at this time in the Stones career was that um it was his guitar that was kind of um, leading the rhythm on a song. You know, when they um, they had a longtime bassist, um, Bill Wyman, who was mm-hmm. with them from the beginning until um, 1989 or 1990, he left. He just mm-hmm. he'd been with them for 30 plus years. He just you know, he was just tired. He had enough of that. <laughs> they had a new bassist, a bassist who they've had ever since then, Daryl Jones. And when he first played their first show. Apparently it was just terrible. It, it was like it was awful, mm. and it was him. And what he said was, "I didn't get it until that first show." But w- what makes the Stones work is that we follow Keith. He uh. leads the rhythm, and we follow him. Because typically in a band, you know the drum and bass. You know that yeah, yeah. You know you're leading off the drums. You're going off the you know everything kind of channels off of that. But with the Rolling Stones. It's that guitar-based Keith Richards riff to right. lead the song that right, they start right, right. off of. So this is the quintessential Stone song in that it, it starts off with this um, riff, which I'll play now in the key of open. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Sounds extra cool when you play it on a guitar that's in open G. Yeah, yeah, it sounds good. It's oh man, these Stones tunes all have that like that uh, that classic like blues like chugging with the mm-hmm. where you know where you guitar players know where where you're playing the chord and then you do the pinky to give you that that extra note on the every other on the every other strum. It's it's so great. I love I love their stuff. And and by the way, as a fan of the Talk Track podcast, oh. <laughs> I must say. 
I love it when you get nerdy with the guests, Matt. <laughs> I, I really do. Because every time listening, I'm like, mm, yeah, they're right. <laughs> Can't forget about the third and the fifth. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I, I love that uh, you decide to kind of help break down the song on the guitar. I think that's such a cool concept. And I think that might be something we'll take a little further for the next couple uh, next couple pods and uh, see how the how the crowds react because yeah. i i think that's a cool thing um plus it gives you a little preview of uh of brian's guitar playing which obviously is very very good thank you um so that riff comes in real funky bass line comes in too yes yeah played by bill wyman who should who who gets overlooked a lot you know because you've right. got a band keith, like the rolling mick. stones yeah yeah keith mick maybe you think of charlie watts on the drums right. but you know he was a mainstay there, and he had a way of, of playing these bass lines that were just very complimentary with Keith's going to start, Charlie's going to come in, Mick's got his thing he's doing, you know, what can I do to fill in those gaps? There, and, there is something that I've mentioned before on the podcast. Specifically, you need to have something, especially in, in bands, specifically in bands, when you're playing these tracks and tunes, you need something kind of just straight and normal and just tasty. And I mentioned it before when I... <laughs> When I, I I apologize to the police and Sting. I, I said they were I said they were lunkhead baselines. They're not. <laughs> yeah. I I'm so sorry, Sting. That was the first moment on on this podcast series that made me laugh. <laughs> they're they're not lunkhead baselines, but like, but simple. Like so you can have more complex stuff on top of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's key. And not that um not that the baseline is very super simple, but it's just enough and it's not overstepping its bounds because the real star of this particular track at least at the beginning part is that guitar riff yeah right so um they go in uh vocal start rhythm guitar jumps in at the verse two uh yeah and taylor playing rhythm guitar i would imagine on on the left side that that's what it sounded like and when i say left side right side we were talking about the panning that they did because we listened to to the song on headphones just now and it sounded like keith's guitar was on the right and then mick's guitar was on the left so it was cool to hear the two kind of working together and just as a guitar player you love that because when you're trying to learn and you want to learn someone's part you just you know oh yeah one of those phones behind your ear and then you can put one back isolate that yeah it's great um Gets into that, uh, and that that's basically the same instrumentation all the way through that chorus where they uh, do change the chords. Yeah. Then they get into the second uh, verse, kind of in, into the same kind of instrumentation. Uh, addition, though, organ and sounds like organ and piano, too. They have mm-hmm. added in there. and yeah. uh, Kind of, once again, that's that thing. And I, I always, you know, when, when me and Sean are working on tracks and stuff, I'm like, let's always make sure we're introducing something new on every section so... Your ear, especially as a listener, perks up and you go, "Ooh, it's something new. It's something just different. You know, it doesn't need to be anything in your face, but it's just enough to cool. My ear isn't tired yet. And, and I think exactly. that's, that's a really smart thing in that production. And, and, and with this song and a lot of Stone songs, you know, there's a lot of songs that the chords aren't really that tricky or complex. So you have to continually add more layers, Bills, yeah. add a different you know, feel a characteristic to that track. And yeah, they, they, they did a really good job of that. I'm, I'm guessing Jimmy Miller was kind of probably the, the mindset behind that. Just kind of, Oh, let's bring in, let's bring in Billy Preston on organ and get him on this. And they kind of really put together something really cool for that first, what, about two forty five three yeah. minutes of the song. And then they, they hit that last, uh, 
that last line of the of the song "Hear Me Knocking" and all you around your town, and boom, they hit the first, they hit the downbeat for that kind of breakdown section, and it's um, and it's the congas percussion and guitar and this guitar doing this really cool like yeah. riff thing. Do you, do you know do you know that that riff part on the I guitar? I sure do. So yeah, they've yeah they've got the you know the percussion kind of holding it for a few seconds, and and then the Keith's guitar comes in and goes. repeats and repeats and then bobby keys uh their you know longtime saxophonist from the early 70s till the you know mid 70s who tours with them now still uh-huh um he comes in with this real tasty super tasty so there's, yeah there's only the only word i could describe it is tasty just yummy it's, yummy uh, yummy, yummy morsels. delicious and yeah. tasty it's so good uh and th- that goes into a full kind of like a solo section for the mm-hmm. for the sax and it's it's dope. It, yeah. And that goes on for and, and 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 so at some point, and it's hard to define unless you're listening to it. The mood of it changes. It it still stays in the key of D, but the rhythm is rhythm guitar instead of going. It starts doing this kind of open chord D ringy thing that sounds like. And, and then it kind of can does that is thing. it straddling into d minor kind of stuff there it is actually. it is so it's kind of yeah, making that oh you're ready and i get to bust out some music terms it's going to the uh it's not the relative minor because the relative minor d would actually be b minor it would be the oh no i forgot the word oh. it's relative minor and ah uh, Okay, out there, track talk listeners. If you know the other type of minor, <laughs> the other phone into the show now. It's parallel minor. It's parallel minor, or it's the parallel key. Excuse me. Parallel. It's the parallel minor. Yes. Parallel minor. I think yes. But yes, track talk uh, podcast listeners, feel free to correct us, and you could tweet us at the track talk pod, and uh, you can hashtag uh, know what key you're talking about, Maddie. That's a big hashtag, but that's the hashtag for that. So it, it straddles into that kind of D minor, into the parallel yes. um, minor key. So it's cool. It's cool because it's totally this kind of like funky, bluesy, very major thing all the way up until that part. Yeah, and, and then that's really and that's the part where the saxophone is still soloing. Bobby Keys is still doing his thing, but then it, you know, the mood, the background color of this thing changes, and 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 then, um, yeah, it moves in a different direction. It it gets into that section. It sounds like Santana walked in the door mm-hmm. and started playing, and the background sounded like it was all Santana. Yeah, and and up until that last part, you know, Mick Taylor, you hear him, but he's really kind of just um kind of helping to echo what Keith Richards is doing, but it's on that Santana part where he kind of rips in and goes. And then you've got Keith's guitar, which at this point has, has gone from doing this kind of ringing, uh, to it's just doing like these rhythmic, uh, chops. He's like, (laughs) 
kind while, of stabby kind of like yeah stabby kind of choppy things yeah. while mick taylor's doing this kind of santana-esque just beautiful melodic bending it's absolutely solo. unexpected for a rolling of stones tune yeah for sure um they get around through that uh, another time and then at the end of it it kind of just hits those last those last chords and then kind of just ends it's not a huge ending it kind of there is a little build up which actually I, I i can't do it i think it's hard right now <laughs> i was too, i used to know it but the end of it it kind of does this build up that goes like yeah yeah kind of like a little repeating motif and then it then it kind of ends it there you go yeah he's got the fancy word for the for the feelings i have in, <laughs> in my head um it's really killer it's yeah, super killer. I love it. Um, let's let's dive a little bit into the theory, into the chords here. So sure. the uh, that opening riff, uh, one more time, if you wouldn't mind, just oh, playing yeah. a little bit of that opening riff. That's great, and a lot of that's just sitting on on just the D. Yes, it is, and and um, the nice thing about playing these songs is that you need to be, you really need to be in the open G because um, the um, for those music guitar nerds out there, this riff is just coming off of three strings, and um, the way you're tuning it, it's like in the shape of a power chord. So you've got the one and the five. Oh, it's already built in. So so. And the the great thing about the open G is that you use less fingers to do it. So so to make a sound where you would have to use three of your fingers, you can use just one and two. That's usually the issue I have. I know whenever I play those kind of like kind of bluesy mm-hmm. tunes, is you know I got small like uh, Hobbit fingers, so <laughs> I <laughs> I can't I can't get that stretch for that five. Like I could get that stretch for like the five the five fret kind of blues thing, but it hurt. Like for me, it hurts. It hurts. Like well, the blues should hurt. The blues should hurt. <laughs> so you're, you're doing it right I'm, as far as I'm, I'm concerned. I'm so lame, <laughs> but I get exactly what you're talking about. So that, that, uh, that tuning helps get that same sound, but it's just easier to play and gives you a kind of like different options too. Exactly. And Keith Richards at this time fell in love with this tuning and, you know, in some ways, it does make playing the rhythm guitar role easier because mm-hmm. you just use less fingers. But it can also, if you really take time with it, it's it's like it's a it can almost feel like a whole new instrument when yeah. you're learning because it's it's like a you know all different combinations you can do. Right, right, right. Um, so, uh, can you play through just that little verse section? Yeah. So then, you know, pretty much the verse, the guitar parts are are pretty similar to the intro it just kind of more spaced out so you like you got Mick Jagger going can't you hear me knocking yeah you got satin shoes so pretty much what what uh what one of the guitars is doing I think this is Mick Taylor's guitar is he's actually um um echoing the vocal uh, melody on you know during the verse uh-huh. like the like 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 the can't you hear me knocking yeah 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 so that part gets thrown in there during the "Can't you hear me knocking?" You know, um, kind of like shout. Chorus yeah, the, yeah, part. the shout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know the guitar is kind of doing these these little riffs like, you know, these these kind of fun little you know power chord shapes that 
Yeah, easy to they're do. very cool. And then what's it playing when when they get to the um, "Help Me, Baby" and "A Stranger" and also the "Hear Me, Hear Me Ringing" bell tolls? So what that is is that's two chords. You've got the G, and then you've got um, a G major, and then you've got C major, and pretty much um, it, this is what it sounds like on the on the. Uh, What'd you call that? The chorus part or the I guess you would call it kind of the chorus, yeah. Maybe a B section. And it's just going back and forth between the two. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Super simple. This is this is this is like 60s, 70s rock and roll. Like oh, yeah. four four chords at the most. Uh, you're talking the one with D, you know, uh, the one major. Uh, G and C, you got uh, G, which would be your four, and then the and then the C being your, I guess that'd be a flat seven, yeah, yeah, in there. Or I guess it would also be maybe you can even call it the five of the five of four. Either way, it depends. Are you playing the uh, are you playing C? Is there C seven? Is there a B flat when you're doing the C? Yeah, C's in there? and 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 so the way um when you oh man our <laughs> our non music yeah nerd <laughs> fans are like. Ooh, can we skip to the part where they talk about the the Twitter handle? <laughs> talking about like B flat seven. Yeah, I okay. think it is a C seven. It's, C seven. It's, and as you said that, I, I was like going to show it on my guitar, but I'm like, wait, we're on a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that would put that there. And then you know we talked about when it hits that uh, hits that section at the at the end where it was uh, kind of noodling between D D major and D minor. Yeah, it goes into that. So. Uh, it's just, man, it's it's cool. It's really cool. I really enjoy uh, what I heard with it. Kind of going. Uh, was there anything else you want to add to the kind of chord progression, guitar mm. stuff, pr- production? No. Although the one thing I will add is that I think um, to get nerdy again, I'm pretty sure that on this song, you know, Keith Richards has the open G tuning. He uh-huh. also has the top string on the guitar removed. So, you know, guitars all have six strings. Right. For a lot of these songs that open G, he had the top string, the low E string removed. And now just cause, um, he just didn't find it very useful when he right, had it right, in right, that right. tuning pretty much. So he would just have the five string. Yeah. He would just remove the top, the, the top one. And I believe this is one of those that it's the exact same thing. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's so bizarre. Yeah. But I guess all the greats really have like weird knacks when they when when they're doing it. Um, you mentioned the Jimi Hendrix thing. Didn't Jimmy play it like the guitar upside down? Is was that the way he played it? Like, oh yeah, I mean he had he had different ways of different, playing well, the guitar tricky. But for him, he liked to have his guitar a half step down because it was easier to sing. It was easier to hit some of the uh, certain notes for him. That's interesting. Yeah. Speaking of, I read another thing that. Uh, that Mick had said that the key was actually a little bit too high for him. Right. Did you read something in that? Yeah, yeah. And and he it was a little too high for him and his way of kind of combating that was he, you know, had his influence had all- when, when when they were putting it all together. He just basically had his lead Layer vocal and harmonies. Yeah, yeah. On the on the chorus, he had his lead vocal. Like his lead vocal gets really drowned on the chorus. Like you're mainly hearing the background, which is actually him and Keith, so yeah, that and, kind of drowns out what he's and kind of hides it. I thought he sounded great. He he's that kind that like I I put him in the same category as like a, a Bob Dylan type. Like he doesn't have to be great yeah. at singing. He just needs to get the point across, which every time he does, yeah, and he needs to be a great performer, which he also is. So it's really cool. Um, 
I wanted to kind of just talk about just these last two things here. Rolling Stone magazine listed this one as the uh, twenty number twenty five in the hundred greatest guitar songs of all time. Really? Yes. Uh, that is good to hear. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was in the two like two thousand three, two thousand four, or something. So a little earlier two thousands, but. You know, there I think, I, I mean, I don't think there have been that many great guitar songs sin, since then, like iconic at least. So <laughs> I think they really nailed it. Well, and, 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 and then just the fact that it, you know, when I think of that song, I also think of, you know, like you said, the sax, the yeah. you know, percussion in there. So, so to hear it as like that was chosen as like a guitar song, it was like one of the 50 greatest according to them. It's, that's It's very prominent because cool. that, that, that riff at the top really, uh, although Mick's playing at the end. Uh, that Santana type right. thing is really great. It's it's that Keith Richards guitar riff at the top that really sets the tone for the for the record. Even though they don't go to it for the rest of yeah. the record, but you know this one's a bit of a journey, and I think that's great. Um, something we also like to talk about on the podcast are uh, covers of these tunes. I went online, I couldn't find many covers of this. Uh, is that partly because of it's just it's not as big of a tune as some of the other ones out there? I I mean I think so. I think that's the reason why the Stones didn't maybe played this song twice after it was first released in concert, and then they didn't touch it for another yeah. thirty plus years because they're not even covering their own. It, song. Yeah, they they're, they're not even. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling Stones catch me knocking. We're not doing that. No, it's too damn hard. Yeah, so I just think the fact that it just, for them themselves, it was hard to recreate live. I mean, I think that explains why. Although I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Fish may have covered this song. Oh, okay. Concert. I know that there was a band, I want to say Fish, spelled with a P, P-H. That, oh, that Fish. That okay, fish, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> I want to <laughs> say that they actually covered a whole Stones album, either this one or Exile on Main Street. Oh, concert. cool. So I think they've done this. That's a cool thing. Yeah. Who who did that just recently? We were talking about this, Sean. Uh, oh, uh, Train covered a uh, one of Led Zeppelin's records completely. Ooh, yeah, wow. and uh, Pat, uh, the lead singer from Train, kills it. Mm. He's killing all those uh, all those vocals on. So it's really killer. Um, what was the last thing I kind of wanted to get into? Actually, the the covers. Yeah, that's it, man. Um, what 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 kind of like uh, last last thoughts do you have on this specific Rolling Stones? I'm gonna say a classic, specific oh. Rolling Stones classic. Well, as a Rolling Stones fan, that makes yeah, me yeah. very happy to hear that. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I love this song. It is a groovy movie, you know, lyrically basic, just Stone yeah. song that just hits me where it where it counts. Yes, yeah, I love this song. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, the lyrics make you know after kind of breaking them down, they actually look make a little more sense. So I was I was happy to look at that, but really, it's made me kind of rethink my thoughts on the Rolling Stones, which was, uh, okay, they're just a, they're just kind of classic rock, and that's kind of yeah. that's kind of it, and they are so that, and they are the epitome of that. That's that's why, and but I do realize that it's so much more layered and more in depth than than just kind of what I've heard previously too. And what I will add, so this album came out in 71, Exile on Main Street came out in 72. Uh-huh. In the summer of 72, they toured, did a US tour, they released a live concert album called Ladies and Gentlemen. Uh-huh. That is them at their best. I love this Stones record because it was them 
at their best. And if you ever want to see a great live performance of them, check out Ladies and Gentlemen, Rolling Stones. It's a like a compilation of footage taken from like four nights that they performed in Texas. Cool. And, you know, I mentioned that because, you know, you're saying like you learned a lot about this band. Like you feel like you mm-hmm. really have a different image of them, of them now. Mm-hmm. Check out that. And, you know, for all, 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 all you listeners out there, check out that video footage and it'll definitely, you know, it'll definitely stick in your mind. I, I love that's that. cool. I think it's the best. That's, that's exactly what this podcast is. Like we, we should be talking about songs that people know, but I like talking about songs that I don't know. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought this one to the table. And, uh, once again, it's really opened my eyes up to, uh, to the stones. Um, let's go and take a minute. We'll get you set up. And, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna have you, uh, play a song for us right here live on the track talk podcast. So, All right. uh, Brian, uh, take it away.
time it was off but you had second thoughts and baby you didn't have to go well, i wish you could have seen the kind of team we could have been oh baby you'll never know well, i wish you could have stayed but you could have at least said goodbye Wish that you could have said goodbye Instead you hung me out to dry Wish that you could have said goodbye As we uh, wrap up here, uh, Brian, where can we find uh, find you online? Check out some of your videos, all that good stuff. You can find me on YouTube at Brian Dylan One Twenty. So that's spelled B R I A N D I L L O N One Two Zero, and that's at YouTube. Um, I finally have an Instagram. Sweet. You can see me at Brian Dill Pickle. <laughs> so, <laughs> spelled like it sounds. <laughs> Um, I should probably change my YouTube to that, but right now that's my Instagram. So, and, um, yeah, that is, that is my extent of social media. I do have Facebook, but it's friends. Only. Excellent. And, and you're not playing with anyone currently. You're just kind of hitting the mics. Nope. And... Just, yeah. Hitting the mics, doing my new songs and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Um, thanks to our producer, Sean Day. Uh, yeah, thank you, Sean. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Welcome thank back. You. He uh, he missed out last week, so yeah. uh, we're we're glad to have you back. Please rate and review the Track Talk podcast on iTunes. Don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe on your social media places and things. You can find audio of today's episode and previous episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and the podcast app. Uh, videos of today. Uh, video of today's performance with Brian and previous performances can be found on our YouTube channel, The Track Talk Podcast. For new episodes, updates, news, and photos, follow us on The Track Talk Podcast Facebook page. And if you have song ideas and song facts, or you just want to correct us on many of the different things we've talked about today and previously, or share your thoughts on Airheads, the the popular Brendan Fraser film... Uh, <laughs> I'm, we might cut that part out, so you, I might leave this part in, yeah. so you might not know what we're talking about at this point. You can tweet at us at the Track Talk Pod. No cast, just the Track Talk Pod. Thanks to our guest host, Brian Dillon. Any last words to leave our listeners, Brian? Oh, hey, Maddie. Thank you for in, inviting me. I'm a, I'm a huge fan, and uh, yeah, keep the Track Talk podcast coming. <laughs> and as always, keep listening to music. Keep writing songs. This is the Track Talk Podcast with Benny, and uh, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.